through the Psalms for the summer, and we'll be in Psalm 90 this morning, Psalm chapter 90. The title of today's message is Praying with Perspective, Praying with Perspective. And the key word today is prayer, prayer. Before I jump in, I do want to pray for us again. God, I ask that you uh, bless this time, that you'd be with me and help me explain your word and apply it accurately. Help those listening to apply it to their hearts and leave here transformed. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to see things from your perspective. We are not left here alone wondering what to do. We can see what you have for us in your word. Help us to see your word as it is and see it as totally true and without error and authoritative for our life. God, help us trust in you and trust in your word that you've uh, sent to us here, that we have here in Psalm 90. God, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we're talking about perspective today. You ever notice how different people see the same event differently? They experience the same exact thing, but they, they see it in totally different ways. This happened for our family the other day. I passed out some snacks to our kids. Um, Cheetos was the snack of choice for the day. And it was at the bottom of the bag. So they each got just a few Cheetos. Well, one of my children complained, you know. They say, why do I only get this many? Why can't we have more? And I explained, this is all we have left for the Cheetos, right? It'll be fine. Be thankful for what you get, right? But then my other kid, they said, well, maybe if we break the Cheetos in half, then we'll have more Cheetos. <laughs> That's a good perspective. That is a good perspective on life. And so today we're going to see things not from, you know, something from the perspective. We're going to see things from the perspective of eternity, from the perspective of God, and that, how that changes our prayer life. And then through our prayer life, how that changes our actions, how we think about things, how we go through trials, how we go through temptations, how we go through pain and, and disease and sickness and death. And so I'm going to break up this Psalm 90 into four parts. First, we'll have verses 1 and 2. We'll see that God is at the center. God should be at the center of our prayer life and center of our lives. And then second, verses 3 through 6, we are frail and temporary. In our prayers, we, we need to confess that we are not Superman, but we are frail and that we are temporary. And why that will be beneficial for us to realize. And then third, we'll look at verses 7 through 11. We'll see that we, how we can be saved from God's wrath. That we can be saved from God's wrath. And then fourth, different prayers and different four different prayers and requests to God. Prayers to God in verses 12 through 17. So starting off Psalm 90, the superscription, the title is this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And that's one reason if you're asking, well, if you're going through all 150 Psalms in about 10 weeks, how do you choose what Psalms to go through? Well, Psalm 90 is very significant. It's the only psalm uh, dedicated to Moses here, attributed to Moses. It's a prayer of Moses. It stands out in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 90 serves as the first psalm in book 4. 
So this is the fourth book, starting in the whole big book of Psalms, of the five books. So this is book four. And so it's very um, important, influential in the scheme of the Psalter, in the scheme of the Psalms. And it's significant because in the third book, if you're reading through the Psalms, you know, Psalms 87 and 89 particularly, ask the question, why? Why does bad things happen? Why are we going through the things we're going through? And Psalm 90 serves as kind of a, an answer. It doesn't say that, oh, bad things aren't really happening. You're just um, mistaken. No, bad things do happen, but you see it from God's perspective. So they'll be giving us an answer to why do things happen the way they do. And it's really interesting just personally and just reading things is I'm really interested to see what the prayer of Moses would be. The man of God, Moses, is a very influential figure in the Old Testament. He led the people out of Israel. He was the one who received the Ten Commandments from God. He saw the glory of God. I want to know what this guy prayed for, what he prayed. What was his prayer life like? And I don't want to just know what Moses prayed just because it would be interesting or for knowledge's sake. I want to know what he prayed and study here in Psalm 90 so that we can learn from him. That we can learn from his prayer. That our prayer life can be transformed and, and be imitated. And we can imitate Moses' prayer. So first, we see that Moses' prayer, he keeps God at the center. We see this in verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. It is basic, but we need to remember who we're praying to. We're praying to the Lord, Adonai. The God. He is God of Israel. And what does he proclaim who God is? He is our refuge. Or some manuscripts have a similar word. He is our dwelling place. So if he's our refuge, that means he's our salvation. He's the one who helps us. That's where we receive power and salvation. If he's our dwelling place, that's where we experience the presence of God. He is with us. He is for us. We can dwell with him. So God is our refuge, and he's our dwelling place. And notice he says not just in our present generation, but he says in every generation. This is important to remember that God is bigger than the time frame we live in. God has existed from eternity past, and he has been with his people from every generation since Adam. God is, this is not something new, because oftentimes we think something new is better. Right? We think the newest computer, the newest phone. We're always looking for something new. But when it comes to God, he has always been there and he always will be. And so he, is the, he has been the God. He's been the refuge in every generation. And so when we're talking about God being the, the God of every generation, I think it's apt to look back at a few generations ago. A well-known hymn writer by the name of Isaac Watts in 1708 penned these words that paraphrase Psalm 90 in a hymn that begins like this. He wrote these words, uh, paraphrasing Psalm 90. He says, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. And so I would sing that to you today, but I joke with Mark. But I do, I do not know the tune, but I could make it up since it is an older one. You wouldn't know. But these are, these are good and true words to sing, looking back to the faithfulness of God, looking back how he has protected his people, that we can trust in his promises to help us in the future by looking back what he's done in the past. We need to keep God first in our life. 
We need to keep God first in our prayers. And we need to remember that God is bigger than our generation. God has been at work long before we came on the scene. And he's the refuge, the only refuge, the only way of salvation for all generations. And we see this everlasting nature of God to all the generations continued in verse 2 of Psalm 90. It says, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity you are God. That is the God we serve. God was before all things. He is the creator of all things. He is God from eternity past. He is God to eternity future. Whatever happens in this world, sin, disease, war, God is still God. And he is in control. He is not overwhelmed or worried about things going on. Specifically in prayer, we declare who God is. This is what Moses does. He declares who God is here at the first He declares that God is eternal. So in our prayers, declaring who God is, declaring that he has been faithful, declaring that he is in control, that nothing is too big for him, that he is God, he's not bound by time. Because when we declare who God is in our prayers, that is beneficial for two reasons. So why declare who God is in your prayer? Two reasons. First, declare who God is in your prayers as a way to worship God. Your prayers can be a worship to the Lord as a way to tell God that you know who he is, that you trust him. It is an outward expression of your love and your trust for God to declare something true about him. Declare that he is your refuge. Declare that he is the creator. Declare that he is eternal. Because you think about it in uh, comparison to human relationships, how you tell someone that you love them and how you tell things that are true about them lets them know that you really know them that you trust in them and that you know who they are by declaring who they are to them. And then second, it is beneficial to declare who God is in your prayers that's beneficial for you personally because it is a form of preaching to yourself. What you pray informs what you think about through the day. Reminding yourself that God is trustworthy. Reminding yourself that God is powerful. That God is the creator of all and that God can handle any situation you're in. So if you feel like God is not in control and you feel like everything is going crazy, pray and remind yourself that God knows what's going on. He's in control and he's, been, he's existed for eternity. And we, we can pray these truths of God. As Isaac Watts, his third stanza in the same hymn says this, He says, before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame, from everlasting thou art God to endless years the same. God is the same forever. You can trust him. His promises are true. He is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to his promises in the past. For every generation, he will be in our generation and will be in the future. And when we say, thou art God, That reminds us that we are not God. It reminds us that we can't control everything. We can't choose what we think is best or choose our own way. Instead, we trust in God. And we trust in his ways. From eternity to eternity, he is God. We are not. So that's the first point. We need to keep God at the center of our lives and God at the center of our prayers. The second thing we learn from Psalm 90 about how we should pray is that we are to confess and realize that we are frail and that we are temporary. As we see in verse 3, 
says, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. We confess before God that we are mortal, that we will die one day, that we will return to the dust. We are different from God in this way. We are created. He's not. He existed before time began. We did not. Our bodies are frail and fall apart. We become weak. God does not. We live for a moment. God exists for eternity. And from eternal perspective, from God's eternal perspective, he sees things differently. Because he exists forever outside of time, we see he sees things differently. We get a glimpse of this perspective in verse 4. It says, For in your sight, that is in God's sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You remember when you were in school, or maybe at, at, when you were working at a job that you maybe did not like very much, or the class was very boring, what would you do? You would always look up at the clock, right? When is this class going to be over? And every time you look back at the clock, you think an eternity has passed, but you're saddened to realize that only a few minutes have passed. It's all about perspective. So from God's perspective, when it seems like um, as you see this, uh, the perspectives of when you get older as well. You see things differently when you get older. Instead of looking at a clock, you look at the calendar, right? And you realize a year has gone by in the blink of an eye. Age affects perspective. Because I remember as a kid, you think just time drags on and on and on, right? The summer lasted forever. It was amazing. But now, as we get older, summer is here and gone. God, from God's perspective, he existed for eternity. That's why a thousand years for him is like a few hours. It's a different perspective. Again, the point is that we are different from God. The point is that we have not existed for eternity. We live a short time in comparison to him. And our life is temporary. This temporary life is depicted again in verse 5. He says, you end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. That's how temporary and short our lives seem in relation to eternity. And he makes this point again in the second half of verse 9. He says, we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. We are frail. We are temporary. And what we notice here that Moses and God and his word, they, they do not hold back the truth of reality. And I don't want to either. Now, we invite and welcome anyone who's interested in joining our church. We want you to grow in Christ and grow in his word. We want to worship with you as a family of God. And we also understand that there are many churches that are Christ-exalting, disciple-making, serving churches around here too. But I do want to make one thing clear. If you are looking for a church to call your home church or be a member of, if you're looking for a church and you visit a church and the pastor promises that your life as a Christian will be easy, or if the pastor promises that you'll be healthy and that struggles and sorrow will be a thing of the past, I would strongly suggest not going to that church. Because they don't see reality clearly. They don't teach God's word accurately. 
You'll be left discouraged, wrongly thinking that something is wrong with you, or you don't have enough faith when you get sick, or not enough faith when the family member passes away. We can't be blind to the reality of life. So in our prayers, we need to confess that we are frail. We need to confess that we're temporary and that God is much different than us. God is not temporary or weak. So why? Why would we do this? Why would we want to confess this in our prayers? Because a lot of the world wants to, we don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about sickness and sorrow. We want to just act like everything's okay. But if we do that, we would miss out on this benefit. So the main benefit of this for us is that we don't want to overestimate ourselves, and we don't want to underestimate God. We don't want to overestimate ourselves and underestimate God. We cannot live in denial, thinking that everything is fine, that we're never going to die. We have to come to terms with reality, and when we do, when you come to terms with what's going on, you realize that you need help. That we need a savior. We need someone stronger. We need someone who is not bound by this physical world, not bound by sin, not bound by death. We need God. And we need to remind ourselves that we need God. That we can't save ourselves from death. No matter how much money you store up, no matter how healthy you eat, nothing you can do can keep you from dying one day. It's a reality that people don't like to think about. But it is necessary for understanding why we need God. Why did Jesus come to die for us? Why did we need a Savior? If we don't need anything, if nothing's wrong, then what did Jesus come for? So not only do we need a Savior from physical death, but this physical death, the physical realities point to something spiritual. There's the things that are wrong physically are a result of things wrong spiritually. We need, something, we need to be saved from something else, not just physical death. We need to be saved, as we turn to our third point, we need to be saved from God's wrath, as we see in the next verses here. Verse 7, he says, For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. If you're not scared or terrified by God's wrath, his judgment, then you really don't understand who he is. You don't understand how powerful he is. He created everything and existed from eternity and who are we? We were born yesterday, gone tomorrow. We are no match for God. And we are all under God's wrath, his judgment, because of sin and rebellion, as we see in verse 8. It says, you have set our iniquity, says our sins, before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You may hide your sins from other people. You may hide them from even your closest friends and family. But we can't hide them from God, the God who knows everything. He knows your intentions. He knows your very thoughts. And because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God, as we see in verse 9. It says, for all our days ebb away under your wrath. And then in verse 11, he says, who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. So what are the implications of this truth? What are the implications of the wrath of God over us for our sin? There are two implications. One, for the Christian. For those who have faith in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King, all your sins, past, present, and future, have been already brought to the light. They have already been paid for, 
And Jesus took the punishment for all your sins. You are completely cleansed. You are no longer under wrath because Jesus took that wrath for you. But we still sin. God knows each and every one of them. Now, we don't fear the wrath of God like we used to before we were saved. We fear God now as our loving Father, and we want to honor Him in all that we do. We want to live in step with what we say we believe, what we believe in our hearts. We want to live in light of that. Because think about it. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, that He took the wrath of God for you, you shouldn't want to keep on sinning, right? So God's knowledge of our sin should be a motivator for us to continue in repentance every day. Continue following God in his ways more and more each day. Second implication is for the non-Christian. For the person who does not have faith in Jesus, who does not believe in God, this is a warning. And this was the warning. This was the message that we heard if before we became a Christian. This was, this was each and every one of us. We were all under the wrath of God. The implication is that you need to see this warning, see God for who he is. Fear the wrath and the judgment and then turn, turn to him. He is the refuge for all generations. He is the way of salvation. You don't have to stay in your sin any longer. You don't have to stay under the wrath of God. And we see this offer of salvation from the wrath of God in our last section as we look at the prayers to God. Because in response to seeing the wrath of God because of his sins, we see this first prayer in verse 12. He says in verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully. Teach us to number our days carefully. Because if you are able to see the end of your life and know that there will be an end one day, you will know that you will just not live forever, that there is a problem, that physical death, there's a, you have to solve that in some way. What's going to happen to you after you die? But not only that, you teach, we ask God to teach us to number our days in the sense we see things from his perspective. We, see, we want to live wisely, as he says in the second half of the verse. We want to number our days so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. When you rightly understand that you have a limited amount of time here on earth, that puts things in proper perspective. It should change what you prioritize. It should change how you respond to people. You see things from eternity. You see things that we only have 70, 80 years to live. This wisdom in our hearts, the person who is wise, the person who has learned to number their days, prioritizes what God prioritizes. Try to see things from an eternal perspective. And when you do, you'll be less inclined to waste your life on things that don't matter. Because at the end of the day, what does matter? If you could look back on your life a thousand years from now in heaven, what would you tell yourself right now? What would you tell yourself to spend your time on? What would you tell yourself to prioritize? Maybe share the good news of Jesus with more people. Encourage people more. Be patient with people. Take more risks for the kingdom of God. Trust God more. It doesn't have to be complicated with the right perspective. And all, the, all of this begins at the basic confession of realizing the reality of death, realizing that we're sinners, 
that we have fallen short of the mark, that there is a problem. And then realizing that we need to be totally dependent on God to save us. Not only to save us, but he continues to teach us. We are praying to God to teach us this wisdom. Learning and accepting this is a teaching from God. Because even in our prayers, we're asking God to grant us this wisdom. It is by his grace every step of the way. It is by his grace that we're saved. It is by his grace that we even first realize that we're wrong. It is by his grace that we repent. It is by his grace we turn to him for salvation. It is by his grace that we learn this wisdom. We need to pray that God would make this real to us and pray for our friends and families as well, that God would open their eyes to these truths. And really, we pray that we would all cry out to God this verse 13. It says, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. This is the second prayer here of Moses. Lord, how long? We, he sees everything going on. He sees the sin. He sees death. He says, how long will we have to endure this? And he asked God to turn. Turn towards him. Turn and have compassion on him. So we can't deny our sin. We can't excuse it away. We cannot blame anyone else for our sin. We cannot do good things to counteract our sin. We are totally dependent on the compassion of God. We ask him to turn from his wrath. Turn his wrath away from us. Turn it to Jesus. We are in, we take Jesus. He is the one who takes the punishment for us. While we experience the compassion of God towards us on the cross, we still feel the effects of sin in the world. And it's all right to cry out to God in prayer and ask, how long? How long, Lord? How long until you make all this right? How long until there's no more sin and death? How long do I have to suffer? We don't know when Jesus will come back and make everything right, but we trust in him. As he showed compassion on us before he went to the cross for us, we trust that he will return and show compassion on us again and make everything right. He will defeat sin and death once and for all. And once we have received compassion from God, forgiveness for our sins, we continue to pray day by day as we look forward to his return. And this is our daily prayer in verse 14. We pray, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. While we count our days and know that they will come to an end, while we still experience sorrow and suffering, we can still shout with joy and be glad. Not because he takes all our sufferings away now, not because he takes all away all our hardships, but, but because we are satisfied in his faithful love. This faithful love is talking about his covenantal love. In the Old Testament, the people of God formed a co were in a covenant with God. God made a, a promise with them that he would love them. But then in the New Testament, we have the new covenant. Jesus comes and he dies for our sins. And he brings us into a new covenant with God where he gives us his spirit. He, he, he cleanses us of all sins. It's a once and for all sacrifice. And so God loves us with this faithful, covenantal love once we believe in Jesus. And so from the psalm, verse 14, this is what we're satisfied in. This is what should fill us up. This is what should bring us joy and be glad all our days because we know 
that God loves us in Jesus. And it's faithful love. It's covenantal love. It will not go away. It is, and it is not just this abstract love. It's not just, oh, I love you in words. God showed us that he loves us by sending his son to die for us. His promises have been always true. He's always kept his promises and always will. That's why we can shout for joy, no matter what comes. And as we, we look forward to God coming back, Jesus coming back, we, we have our prayer for the future, this fourth prayer in verse 15, as we hope for the future. It says, make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. So he's looking back on his life, and he's looking at all the hardships, how God has humbled him in pain and suffering. And he says, God, make us rejoice as all those days, those, all those hardships. I want to rejoice as many days as I've had bad days. He says, um, let me see if I can get to the next one. He says, for as many years as we've had adversity. So as many years as we've had adversity, as many years as we've been down, we want to rejoice. Bring that to us. And the great thing is about this prayer and a lot of prayers, God goes above and beyond in answering some of our prayers, right? He says, just give me the same amount of days that I had suffering. Give me joy. God promises something better. He says, you'll have joy and rejoicing and be glad for eternity. Because that's really the perspective. We experience our short life here, our short life where we deal with sin and death and sickness and suffering. But God said, just wait. You're going to have eternity of joy, eternity of gladness. We, need to, we see this in the New Covenant documents, the New Testament, the New Covenant brought about by Jesus. We see this in the 2 Corinthians 4.17 describes this, um, this way. He says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So he's trying to compare the incomparable, right? He says, when we see things from God's perspective, he says, this is, all this is just a momentary light affliction in comparison to eternity in that perspective. We need to realize our life in this, in this perspective. Yes, our life is frail. Yes, our life is short and temporary. Yes, we experience pain and suffering and afflictions. Yes, we will all die a physical death. But in comparison to being in the new heavens, in comparison to being on the new earth for eternity, it makes this life look like a mere light and momentary affliction. Even as adults, we sometimes act like kids. We have a pain, we have suffering, and we say stuff or we think stuff like this, that this is going to last forever. But God, our loving Father, He looks at us compassionately and says, No, it won't last forever. This life is not forever. This pain is not forever. What is forever is a life with God, a life after death with no more pain, no more sin. And God says to trust me. He says, I'm faithful to my promises as we wait for our eternal weight of glory. And then we pray these last two prayers in verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 90. He says, let your work be seen by your servants and your, and your splendor by their children. So here we, we ask God to show us to work in our lives, to see where God is working. And oftentimes God is working, like Ricky was saying, there's always things to be thankful for. God's grace is seen evident in every one of our lives if we just take the time and look and recognize how God is working in our lives. Let your work be seen by your servants. Let us see the work of God. 
verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Because oftentimes, as we say again and again, God works through his people. He works through his people. He works through their hands. So how do you experience the love of God practically? It could be through a friend, a family member in the church reaching out to you, encouraging you, helping you out. We've all experienced that love of God through the work of people's hands. So we ask God to work in us. We ask God, again, it is by his grace that we do anything good. When we serve others, it is by his grace we are working out that service. And part of the work that we ask God to bless, there's many works of the Spirit we can do. But one of the main things that we are called to do is be ambassadors for Jesus. We ask God to bless our work to spread the message of the new covenant, the new promise that he says. He says, have faith in me, trust in Jesus as your God, Savior, and King, and you'll be saved from all your sins. You'll have eternal life. That We need to share that message with people. Spread the message that God sent Jesus for this new covenant. Even in sharing the message of that good news, we need God's grace to work through us. So in some, we need to keep God at the center. We need to keep God at the center of our prayer lives, the center of our lives, confessing who he is and what he's done. And we realize when we compare God to us, we realize that we're frail and that we're temporary. But even in the frailness and the temporary of life, God has loved us and we can be saved from his wrath. And we've seen how we can be, uh, what we can do in, in our prayers to God, in our daily prayers, prayers of dependence, Prayers declaring who God is and what he's done. Prayers of hope for the future. Looking forward to him making all things right. Prayers for God to work in and through us to do his work. Do his will. So I'll sum up with reading Ephesians 5, 15 through 20 again. And then we'll have a song of response. And if you want to pray for me to pray for you, or if you want to talk about anything, about anything going on, I'd love to pray for you during our, our song of response. But may, may this be the prayer of your life, the prayer of this week. And let us respond appropriately to and think in uh, with God's perspective. Because God's perspective will change how we pray, will change how we live. As we see in Ephesians five fifteen through 20. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time. Because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you are the God from eternity past to eternity future. It is just mind-blowing that we get to come before your throne and present our requests, that we get to present our thanksgivings to you, God. Thank you for making this possible. Thank you for loving us despite all of our sins, despite everything that we've done and thought and intended that Jesus took all that away. Thank you, God. God, help us see things every day from an eternal perspective. Help us to make the most of our short time here on earth. 
Help us to do everything for your kingdom and your glory, not for our own self, not for our own comfort, not for our own selfishness of desires, but let us desire the things that you desire. Work in us. Help us present good works. Help us serve others, not to earn salvation, but because we have been saved. God, be with everyone here today. If they are going through some pain or experience or anything going on like that, they would see that this is temporary. They look forward to it and hope in the day that you'll make everything right and that you are with them now and that they can praise you during the storm, that you are their refuge in the midst of the storm. God, that is my prayer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand with us, Pastor Josh will be at the front.